All right, good evening, guys. You're right, we didn't get through all of 23, so we'll be starting in Exodus 23, verse 20, is where we're going to pick up tonight. Let's pray over God's Word here, and we'll dive in. Lord, we thank you for this evening and allowing us to get together to worship you in song and in prayer, and the kids are getting ministered to, and um, some of us have had a long week, some of us have a short week, some of us are on vacation, and we just pray that you'd meet each and every one of us where we are. Um, as we come before you and your throne and sit at your feet and hear your word, that you administer to our, our needs and maybe some of the things we didn't even know we needed. Um, but we pray that you'd have your way with us either way. By your Holy Spirit, would you teach us tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. This next section of the angel of the Lord, beginning in verse 20, is an amazing picture of, and not just a picture, um, but a nugget, one of those, one of those sections of, of Scripture that um, just proves that Jesus is in the Old Testament. This whole section, this angel of the Lord, and the way the Father um, describes this angel of the Lord, it's without a doubt that this is Jesus in the Old Testament, and that he's always existed. So much doctrine is enforced or reinforced from this passage right here. Um, I just love it. Um, because the way the Father speaks is very similar to what um, other passages say. That who, who else has God said? What other angel has God spoken of? Every time God speaks of his son throughout prophecy or whatever, this just echoes that. Um, and is encouraging Moses, hey, I want you to follow this angel. I want you to pay attention to him. And, and uh, enforces the fact that Jesus has always existed. He's the creator. He's not another guru. He's not another teacher. He's not just a rabbi. He's not, he's not equal to Satan. As some people get confused about that, they think that they've got Jesus on one shoulder and Satan on the other. And I suppose you do, in a sense, you have the Holy Spirit speaking to you, but um, not equal at all. Um, and so when we get into this passage, you'll see, verse 1, Behold, I send an angel, capital A, and it should be, before you, to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. That's a pretty powerful thing. Angel, you know, always have to say this. I know most of you who've come here for any amount of time know that when the Bible says the word angel, it means messenger. It does not mean winged created being. Okay. That's how we've taken it. We buy little figurines and we see a, a woman in a long white dress made of porcelain with a couple gold wings sticking out of her back. And we say, oh, an angel. And that's how we think of her, you know, or it. Um, angel is simply messenger. It can be a cherubim. It could be a seraphim. It can be one of those winged creatures in heaven, um, but doesn't have to be. Jesus is an angel. He's a messenger. In fact, when Jesus writes to the seven angels in the book of Revelation, he's speaking to the messengers of those churches. It very well could be the pastors. And so you and I could all be angels in the, sense of, in, in the truest sense of the word, messengers from God. Now, this angel, though, is different and, has been, and is more described by who he is and what he does, um, what he says, 
and the authority that he carries, you see. And that's how we know it's Christ. That's how we know it's Jesus, the Son. I send an angel before you to keep you in the way. Only Jesus can keep you in the way. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. More reinforcement. And to bring you, he's the one bringing us into the place which I have prepared. Not only literally right here, speaking of uh, these folks coming into the land of Canaan, but also us bringing us to that place that he's prepared to us. Just a lot of echoing from the New Testament here that we see. Beware of him. We're not to beware of any other angels. All the other angels are designed to serve us and to take care of us. And of course, Jesus does that as well. But we also know, and some people forget, that Jesus is the table flipper. He's the, he's the whip braider. Um, he's also the same one that comes back on his white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth at the end of the book of Revelation. He's that Jesus. And he's always been that Jesus. And that's why we see that in this Old Testament passage. I am not <laughs> the Savior yet. I'm not the Christ who's come to earth in the form of man, you know, uh, to lead you in the way that you should walk. I'm, I'm Revelation Jesus in the Old Testament. So beware of him. And obey his voice. Just what the Father said to him. Remember, that's what he said to him at, at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. You know, hear him. Obey him. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. And there is no other name by which man can be saved but by Jesus. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. What a, what a tremendous statement. If you do what he says, if you follow him, if you're in his camp, then I'll take care of you. Later on, this same angel will continually follow them around, in and out, physically, not physically, so on. Um, Jesus will show up, but especially shows up on the night before they go into Jericho. That's a whole different leader at the time. It's not Moses this time. It's, it's Joshua. And if you go, look through the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus, this angel, this messenger, this incarnation shows up to each one of the patriarchs, wrestles with Jacob, you know, Isaac, Abraham. Every one of these has an encounter. You know, One of those encounters Jesus speaks of in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 58. They were, uh, the religious rulers could not understand. Of course, they didn't see Jesus for who he truly was, God come in the flesh. I mean, if, if, if anybody, anybody, including the disciples, could actually comprehend that they were sitting across the fire, eating a meal with, walking along the road with the creator of the universe, the writer of the entire Old Testament, I think that, well, they would have, they would have been a lot different. And so he tries to explain that to the rulers. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. See, Jesus is sitting there with all of eternity in his mind, forwards and backwards, and saying, I remember meeting Abraham, and he, he was a lot happier to see me than you guys were. That's how he's talking. And of course, they don't, have a, they don't have a clue. Then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And his response caused them to pick up rocks and want to stone him. They said, he said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Powerful. For all those naysayers, for all the people that say, Jesus isn't God. He never said he's God, never claimed to be God. He absolutely 
claimed to be God. And they knew it because the next verse, 59, is them picking up rocks to kill him because of what he just said. Before Abraham was, I am. It's powerful to think that Jesus from Adam has always been walking along us people, we people. Always been. It goes right along with Sunday's message of this big chain of events that's been taking place. And we're one of those links. We're one of those. I know it's a blip and I know we're a vapor, but we're, we're a part of that chain. And you know that if you took any link out of that chain, any length of chain, that chain gets a lot shorter. It's broken. So you're as, you're as important as any of the people we've been reading about. Don't ever forget that. This chain of people that have been walking with the true and living God from Adam all the way to the end, you're in that chain. You're one of those pieces. You're a link. And Jesus has been alongside these folks, us as well. He's as real and as as much in this room as he was right here with these folks. And that's a comfort to me. As he looks at Calvary Chapel, Maryville, and he looks at the people here sitting here, he'd say the same thing. I remember seeing Abraham. He was glad to see me. I'm glad you guys are glad to see me too. You know, I don't know. It just brings me comfort. Before Abraham was, I am. And and here we are. Before Moses was. Before Jacob was. And honestly, before Adam was. I've always been. Forever. Jesus is a forever. He is God come in the flesh. Verse 3, or 23. Now you know why I only made it to verse 19 last week. It's a lot here, you know. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to other God, to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works that you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. And I have circled that in my Bible. It's one of the darkest parts of my Bible as far as taking my ink and drawing around it. I, I made it a point for myself when I'm studying. Because this is a very important passage for the church. For the rest, yeah, but for the church. Because he is, sorry, don't know why I've got my notifications on. Um, because he's trying to explain to the nation of Israel, I'm about to bring you into combat, into a difficult territory where you're going to be surrounded by the enemies, and I do not want you bowing down, serving, or doing according to their works. I want you to utterly and completely, those words are there, completely wipe out those sacred pillars. And the church today is spending an, uh, an awful lot of time defending those sacred pillars of other people. The church needs to have the same attitude and the same heart with love. Of course, I shouldn't have to say that. Of course, we want to do it in love. But every single sacred pillar of the enemy needs to be utterly and completely torn down. He not only says, I don't want you to bow down to those gods. Some Christians believe that, well, I don't bow down to Buddha. I don't bow down to uh, Muhammad or uh, the the Allah, the moon God. I don't bow down to them, but we, we've got to reach these people and we've got to be careful what we say about their religion. You don't. The truth is a very hard thing to say to somebody, especially if it's not going to be received well. 
but the truth has to be spoken. The most loving thing someone can do in a loving way and in a gracious way and in a humble way always has to be that way. But to tell someone you are not worshiping a true God, you are worshiping a demon. That's biblical. That's true Christianity. There is no such God as Allah, the moon God. There's no such God. It's a demon in disguise. And so every Muslim everywhere all the time is wasting their time worshiping a false God. And that's hard to say to somebody. I know. But it's a sacred pillar that must be utterly and completely torn down. You cannot do that and fall in love with the true and living God. They're not compatible. They are adversaries. God says so. Not only are you not to bow down to them, you're not supposed to serve them. Okay. Well, I don't bow down to them for sure, and I don't, I don't serve them. I mean, I don't... I don't but, but aren't we supposed to... No, don't serve those other gods. I give them no lip service. I give them no credit. I give them nothing. They deserve nothing. Every one of those false gods deserves absolutely nothing but exposure. Sacred pillars need to be absolutely, utterly, and completely torn down. And the final one, this is a tough one, but the church needs to know, don't even do according to their works. What does that mean? Don't even look like you're accepting of that worship or even participate in that kind of thing. Be careful. I don't want you to bow down. Okay, got it. I don't want you to serve them. I don't even want you to do according to their works. And we see that through Scripture. I don't want you doing those, that thing over there because that's what they do. That looks too much like them. If I have to be so culturally relevant that I have to do this, that, or the other thing for people to hear the gospel, then the gospel isn't powerful anymore. The gospel is powerful, and I can show up looking like I came off the golf course. Sorry about that. I was actually going to go walking, so I put my shoes on, my big clunky hokas, and then someone called me and wanted to look at a house. I hadn't even been home yet to go change into normal flip-flop church attire, you know, true church attire there. But I had to show up as a, I mean, the whitest guy on earth and the most boring guy on earth, you know, and be able to say, you know what, and talk about Jesus, and the gospel needs to be powerful enough to save people. I don't have to make myself look like, or be like, or act like any other group in the whole world. If you're a part of that group, great. But I don't have to become that group to minister to that group. I can be just this plain Jane. I just think about Pastor Chuck sitting there with that bald, shiny head of his, the little scruff on the sides, on a, on a, on a stool, um, I mean, you talk about a guy that was not to be trusted. You know, anybody over 30 should not be trusted. Back in those days, we were told, the hippies were told. And he sat there and he was surrounded by barefooted, long-haired, dirty, Jesus-loving people. And they listened. And they, they had a tremendous fellowship with one another. And he didn't become them. And they didn't become him, to be honest with you. But the gospel was powerful, and the fellowship in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit was enough for us to, to have that, for them to have that. I don't want to do according to their works. I don't want to serve them. I don't want to bow down to them. When the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament tells them, I'm bringing you into a difficult enemy-ridden territory, 
I don't want you to have anything to do with them. I want you to utterly and completely break down their sacred pillars because God wants victory. If I want to win people to Jesus Christ, if Jesus wants victory over the souls of men, we have got to be able and not be afraid to go into people's lives and tear down sacred pillars and utterly destroy them. No, it's not okay that you're a homosexual. It's not. It's hurting you. It's hurting people. It's hurting everybody around you. It's not what you were designed or created to be. It's harmful. It's painful to hear, I know. Because you've identified yourself with that. You've been in that world for so long that you've become that. And you can't understand why anybody would say that to you. It's because I love you and God loves you. And wants to bring you to a place of repentance and purity and, and, and who you were made to be. Sacred pillars. Too much of the church is spending time polishing these sacred pillars of other people's lives. Because we're so afraid to offend. The cross is offensive because the cross tells me that I'm a sinner and my sins have to be named. (laughs) There's nothing pretty about the cross. There's nothing pretty about him having to bleed and die and get jabbed and whipped and scorned. And there's nothing pretty about me having to stand there humbly broken saying I needed the cross. I wish I could have come to God any other way than other than the cross. You want to, you want to, that is the heart of all of us. I would love to go to heaven if there was any other way. Let this cup pass from Jesus. I don't want him to have to die on the cross. And God says, no, that's the only way. And so as ugly as it was for him, enduring the cross, despising the shame, I owe it to him to sit at that cross, despising my own shame, my sin that put him there. And I own it, and I look him right in the eye, and I say, thank you, and I'm sorry at the same time. But for me to sit at this cross, for any Christian, any church, to stare at that cross and say, it's an awful lot of fuss. That's what we're saying when we don't call sin, sin. When we don't name it. When we don't take that sacred pillar and put it up and say, this is why Jesus went to the cross. This is why he went to the, all these sacred pillars that we all worship at. They all have to be torn down in honor and in reverence and respect for what Jesus did on the cross. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it has to be said, you know, and you need to be, and I know you need to be encouraged in that because we're getting a mixed message. I know you are. I know you're getting, I know you're getting a mixed message from others. The world will tell us to tone it down, to do it in love, to not be so and back off. And what, that is not what we're hearing here. From our commander-in-chief, don't bow down, don't serve them, don't do according to their works, utterly and completely. Of course, Jesus ate with sinners, but he didn't become them to minister to them. At least he didn't land on my forehead this time, right? I saw him distracting you guys. You're all going, yeah, Jesus, wasp. Hey, all right. Sacred pillar, be gone. Verse 25. So you shall serve the Lord God 
and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. The promise there. To worship, serve, and to do according to their works and to not utterly and completely break down their sacred pillars is to invite the opposite of verse 25 and 26. I'm going to be sick. I'm going to have difficulty with my water and my bread. I'm going to have miscarriages. I'm going to be barren. We're not going to be fruitful and multiply. Hello, America. We're having that. We have that. That is the opposite of the blessing of God. I I want it. The church needs to be on fire. There is no such thing as a moderate church. I posted that on our, I got so upset one of these days and tried to tone it down for Facebook a little bit, but I get so tired of people saying we need to be more moderate, more middle of the road, more. No, that's Laodicea. That's exactly how the church in Laodicea is described in the book of Revelation. It's a lukewarm church that's neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. New King James Version, I will vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, the church of Laodicea makes Jesus physically sick. It's sickening to him. Why is it sickening to him? I think that's the thing we have to ask ourselves. Because Jesus is worthy of being hot and on fire, and in love, and loud, and clear, and loving, and doing it in front of everybody, regardless of their sacred pillars. He's worthy of that. There's no room for the moderate church. What does that mean even? It means that. Lukewarm. Liberal. It's not good. There's a promise here. Hey, I'm going to send my angel. He's going to take you to this place. He's going to give you a complete victory. All I need you to do is to not bow down, serve, and do according to the works of their gods. And while you're there, utterly and completely break down their sacred pillars. And when you do that, oh, it's going to be so great. Verse 27. Oh, wait, I got to do this. Exodus 23. I got some cross references here. Just two. It's very simple. When he talks about don't bow down, don't serve, don't do according to their works. I mean, it's the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And every Christian needs to know that. You shall have no other gods before you. There is no other God that's acceptable in your life. Allah is not acceptable. Buddhism is not acceptable. None of these things are acceptable in our lives. There shall be no other gods in our lives. And, and, And nor are we to tolerate that in other people's lives, other Christians' lives. We're here to tell them the truth. And then the second cross-reference, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, um, tying it all together, I believe, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. I mean, Paul was probably embarrassed to have to say that out loud. You know that they sacrifice to demons. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, better write that down. Don't have fellowship with demons. Let God be your only God. Don't tolerate that other stuff. Don't don't nod in approval. Don't say, oh yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I don't understand where you're coming from. It's a ridiculous thought to worship anything other than the true and living God. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I'll tell you why. Because there are no other gods. How can there be? All right, 27. I will send my fear before you. Wonderful. 
I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I'll send hornets. <laughs> That's awesome. Before you, we shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hit. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Did he send me a hornet? I'm in trouble then, right? I better be careful. Well, we killed that hornet. If there are a bunch more shows up, find another church, run for your lives, okay? <laughs> God is, he's, in, he's, he's, I think he's got a sense of humor. Yeah. You're going to kill it? Yeah, I'm going to kill it. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. That explains some stuff, doesn't it? How come it took so long to wipe it out? Well, I didn't want to give it to you all at once. Just a little bit. I'm not going to do it in one year. It's going to take years, and here's why. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased, and you inherit the land. Oh, inherit. It's an interesting word. You're going to just kind of get, and then get some more. It's like a trust, and a little bit more, because I want you to be able to hold the ground. I want you to populate it. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to do that, and then when you've got that, we're going to take a little bit more, you know? Um, And that's how... God wants to do it. And he lets him know that. And I will set your bounds. That's the word that popped off the page to me. I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall uh, drive them out before you. Now, why does that word stick out to me? Because I find it interesting that God gave them boundaries. Why? I mean, why not take everything? Why not just get the whole world? Why, why are God's people put within boundaries? And I don't know that I know the answer, but I find it interesting that he doesn't give them the whole world. He says, no, this is your spot. This is where you are. Part of it is there's going to be a choice. On the other side of that line is the world. On the other side of that barrier, boundary, fence, wall, whatever it is, That's outside of my will. But here is inside of my will. And it's a choice. Are you going to stay within your bounds that God has given you, or are you going to step outside of the bounds? I think that's really why that stuck out to me. God's given us individual boundaries. You hear that all the time. And, and And I wonder why it bothers me. Oh, those lines on a map are just arbitrary lines written by men. Well, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, when Paul was ministering in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, he said this, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now, it's a small section of scripture, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm springboarding a little bit, And the boundaries change, but I find it interesting that Paul gives credit to God for saying, this is the time you're going to be born, and this is the boundaries that you have. And I want you to work within that sphere. You've heard that word. That's my second one. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Paul, again, writing to the Corinthian church, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. A sphere which especially includes you. For we are not 
overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, but for it was to you that we came uh, with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other man's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. That's a lot of times he says that. And it stuck out to me. I think we all have a sphere. And I don't need to go beyond the sphere that God's given me. I'm going to work within the boundaries that God has given me in ministry or whatever. A lot of, I know that God has called me here. And I will minister as much as God lets me. And I will maybe go over there, but maybe I won't. Or I'll maybe go over there. This is the sphere he's given me and given me charge of. And so this is where I'm going to minister. And there may be moments like Paul would have, and he'd go over there, but he'd come back, and he'd go over there and come back. But for the most part, I'm going to stay right where he puts me. Because that's my responsibility. I've got somebody else doing that. Or I've got somebody else doing that. But for you, here, this is your sphere. Now, God says, I've given you boundaries, Israel. This is the place. This is the place where everything's going to happen that the world can see. Remember on Sunday, the shining light on top of the hill, the temple being built, covered with gold, the sun hitting it, the Shekinah glory of God in it. So from out and from within, this place glowed. It was amazing. And all people, all men were encouraged and drawn to come up to Jerusalem to worship the true and living God. And so there's a location. There's a place. You can't do it over there. You can't do it over here. You must do it where I said you have to do it. And I think that's very important for us to Christians to know. And every church needs to know that if they don't already. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Everybody, all men are drawn unto Jesus if he is high and lifted up. We have to come to Christ. Everybody has to come to Christ. He's in a location. He's in a spot. He's in a place. You go to him. He's not hard to find. Just like Paul said, he's very near. He's very shiny, bright, and good, and wonderful, and all the fruit of the Spirit. There it is. There it is. Go get it. At the the very end of the book, in Revelation, he says, there's a, whoever wants to drink of this living water may do so. He doesn't take a garden hose and spray everybody with the living water. It's right here. That causes, obviously, there's action to be made on our part to walk to this living water, to go to the cross, to come to repentance, to turn our lives over to God. That's something every human being has to do, to call their sacred pillars in their past sacred pillars that need to be utterly and completely wiped out. Every one of us has to do that. And that's what this passage, I believe, is speaking. I am bringing you to a land. Jesus is taking you there, and it's going to be great. Just do what he says for, uh, that he tells you to do. Do everything he says to do. And make sure that you don't do those things with those other gods. Let him be the true and living God in your life. Every Christian needs to know that and be encouraged in that. You don't need anything more than Jesus. There is nothing that the world or any other religion has to offer you. You have everything you need in Jesus. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the knowledge of him. Everything. There's no truth outside of Jesus. Be encouraged in that. You have chosen 
the Savior. You have chosen, you have come to the well of living water. You have come to the only place that that water exists. And you need to be so sure that in your own life, that I'm willing to make sure everybody knows that that well is poison and that well is poison and that sacred pillar is bad. Come to the true and living waters right here. This is the place to drink. We all have to know that. The church needs to know that. Every time we tell someone that there's another well or that there's another pillar or another way, it, it, it is offensive to Jesus. It's offensive to the Father who sent his son to die on the cross for us. To finish up, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. Don't make any promises to them. Don't let them have their way. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. He is very concerned for their spiritual health. It's the most important thing to him. I'll give you grapes. I'll give you figs. I'm going to give you shade. I'm going to give you places to live. Don't worship other gods. That's the death of you. That'll kill you. Now, he is not saying, I don't want foreigners here. That's how it's read. There are already foreigners with them. Moses marries an Ethiopian woman. She ain't Israeli. She's a black woman. He marries her. That's not the issue. The issue is you cannot have that Canaanite culture, that Hivite culture, that Jebusite culture in your land, sacred pillars and all, worshiping the way they want to, making covenants with them, leaving spots basically of cancer in your life. That's not acceptable. They can stay, but they need to know the Lord and they need to worship. Sacred pillars are wiped out. All, if you want to stay here, you're worshiping the true and living God. That's the key. Otherwise, they've got to go. Because if you leave these pockets of groups worshiping however they want to worship, these other gods, these demons, you're susceptible. You're open to infection, basically. And that's what he's telling them. You need to. You need to make sure for your protection. And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful angel of the Lord that you sent, Jesus Christ, to lead and guide not only the nation of Israel, but us. And we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and tonight, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus and hasn't come to the cross and hasn't taken down those sacred pillars and you want to do that right now, pray with me. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you've always been with us, walking with us, luring us, leading us to you. And I come to you tonight, broken, humble, but so full of hope and love from you. I thank you for that, God. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And I call them sins, and I know what they are. You've already convicted me of them. I've, I've known what those sacred pillars are, what those sins are in my life, and I utterly and completely destroy them tonight. I lay them flat and broken before you, and I never want them rebuilt in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and forgiving me for all of my sins. For giving me that grace and mercy to prepare a place for me in heaven and knowing that you'll come back and take me to that place that you prepared is, is my hope. Knowing all that and accepting all that tonight, Lord, I want to live my life for you. You died for me. I want to live for you from here on out. 
to be bold in love and in humility, knowing where I came from and what you brought me out of, knowing the, the plank that was in my own eye. Lord, help me minister to those with the specs. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys. If you want prayer before you leave, please come on up. Be glad to pray with you.